turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. That's the passage we will be going to this morning, and we're this morning covering Vision Sunday. Last week, Corey set the table because he went back and looked at all of the things that God has been faithful to do in what many would say in 2020 is one of the most difficult years that we faced in a long time. God is still faithful. God is still working. God is still using his people right here at Grace Fellowship to do amazing things. And this week, we want to see that we don't believe God is done working. We don't believe God is done using us. We don't believe that God is done blessing in us and through us. We believe that the mission here continues, and, and, and I hope that you're encouraged as you leave today. The, the title of the sermon is displayed in a beautiful graphic, and I want to say a short word about that. You've been seeing these beautiful graphics, and Christian Dunn, one of our members, has offered us his talents to do this for us. And, and it may not mean a lot to some of you because you're not, you know, uh, aesthetically drawn or you're not a visual person. But I just want to say it means a lot to us that someone uses their gifts and their talents to put on display. And these will be on the website, and they'll be, as we send out our messages, they'll be uh, the tags of our message, you know. And so I want to thank Christian publicly. He, he labors, he prays, he works, and he uses his creative abilities to bless us. And we are very blessed people for his work. If we love Christ, then we will love our neighbor as ourselves. In May of 1886, <clears throat> this formula, pharmaceutical at the time, elixir as it was called, came from the brain of Dr. John Pemberton in Atlanta, Georgia. And the name of that elixir is known now as Coca-Cola. You didn't know it was a pharmaceutical kid's. Next time you want to cope, you tell your parents, it's medicine. It was originally sold this way in soda fountains in the Atlanta area. The first year, they sold a whopping nine Coca-Colas a day. They made $50, which is great back in that time. The only problem is it cost $70 to make the $50. This is not exactly a plan of success, right? Pemberton sold his formula to... Another drug, uh, a pharmacist, druggist, and he developed and began to uh, continue to use that formula and market it to the world, and it was a slow start, but aren't we all, well, maybe not everybody, we have some health-conscious people here, but aren't we all, even if you've given it up now, aren't you glad you at least once in your life drank a Coca-Cola, and by the way, if you drank it out of the glass bottle with peanuts in it, you're on my, you're on my side. <clears throat> I can still remember my early years of going to service stations in the country on a tractor and parking and going in and getting one of those Cokes out of a glass bottle. And one of the fascinating things about Coca-Cola, even back in the 1800s and the 19, early 1900s, they understood some things. First of all, do you know, many of you might, that Coca-Colas were all sold in the same shaped bottle? They were the only company to do it. The reason was because in that day there were no freezers like we see now with 
Cokes on neat racks, there were tubs with ice. And people stuck their hand in and grabbed whatever they could. And they weren't so picky. They just grabbed whatever was there and they paid for it. Oh, I got an orange drink today. Awesome. Or I got a Coca-Cola. There wasn't a lot of brand loyalty back then. But one thing started to happen when people plunged their hand in and felt that bottle. They knew it was a Coca-Cola. It was a marketing ploy. Same green bottle, little green tint in the glass, same label. All those many years, they sold that same dark, beautiful, (laughs) sugary formula. They have almost an impeccable commitment to their principle and their purpose. I say almost because from 1886 till 1985, (laughs) you kids don't know what I'm about to say, but everybody around the age of 40, 50, maybe a little under knows what I'm about to say. Panic struck the company. They were losing stock shares and they were losing to other competitors like company and all these other people who had come on the scene. <clears throat> and so their leader in April the 23rd, 1985, introduced the world to New Coke. They not only put a new product on, they took the original out. They no longer sold it. If you've ever had the unpleasant experience of <laughs> drinking a New Coke, you know that was a very, very bad decision. Now, we won't get into the conspiracy theories that maybe, maybe, just maybe their leader wasn't as crazy as everybody thought. He took away what everybody loved and gave them this new formula so they would clamor for his original thing, and then he would reintroduce it. Maybe that is what he did. I'm not so sure. That's not what he says he did. He says he thought he was improving, and he was about to destroy the company, In 1992, they named it Coke 2 and re-released the original formula in mass, and it sold like never before. They returned to the original formula. They went back to their roots. This is a parable, Grace Fellowship, for us. Sometimes the church thinks that it can improve the original formula. And so it markets a new thing, only to find that God has never changed his plan and purpose for his church. He has the original recipe. There's no such thing as new church, there's church. While Coca-Cola, over the years, was able to launch new products, new drinks, snack foods, energy drinks, they could not change the core of their business, which was the original formula that was developed all those years ago. When they tried to step away from the real thing, they almost destroyed themselves, only to come back and accept it again. I tell you that as an opening little parable to talk with you about something much more important today, much more important to us, and that is Grace Fellowship, which was founded in 2003 as a local expression of Christ's body, the church. 
And you might notice even in the name, grace and fellowship, something very important there. Uh, we are distinctive because we teach in some, in some people's eyes. We're very distinctive because we teach these five purposes or five uh, slogan statements of the Great Reformation. And we also teach the doctrines of grace as they are taught to us in the scriptures, we believe. So grace and fellowship. Why not church? Our, our name is not Grace Fellowship Church, by the way. Uh, there was a lot of guys that sat around in a room and debated what we should call ourselves, and church got thrown out a few times until some of the people gathered there said, there is the church, and we're not the church. So we're not going to call ourselves church. We're going to call ourselves fellowship. We are a fellowship, a small local expression of this universal existing body called Christ's church. And so, we launched out. 2003, from a living room, in our earliest days, we became committed to two things. Very simply, love God and love your neighbor. (laughs) You know, this week I took a trip down memory lane and went back in my computer, uh, which I barely know how to use. Uh, Most of the time, these other guys have to get it on the internet for me. It's quite embarrassing. But I can search my documents, and I found the first ever vision sermon for Grace Fellowship in 2005. You might say, why'd you wait so long? Well, 2003, we started in October. 2004, we weren't quite ready to say anything that substantial. (laughs) And then we were still going through a 38-week membership class. If you think you go through a long (laughs) membership class at Grace Fellowship, some of you said, man, I I didn't think I'd make the 10 weeks. We have cut it down for you. (laughs) We were still journeying through 38. We didn't have members until April, I believe, right around April of 2004. Didn't have a a called pastor for some time after that. And so this is the earliest expression of our vision. In 2005, this is what we said. The purpose of Grace Fellowship is to glorify God as a part of his church universal. His glory is the ultimate motive behind everything we believe, teach, practice, and represent. We seek to glorify him by loving him and growing to know him greater in his true essence and nature as revealed by his word, the scripture. We also seek to glorify him by loving others, being used of him to bring them to know him in growing relationship and to minister to them in his name. We have always been wordy around here. We've always been wordy, but we've tried to improve. And so um, that year, that was expressed. So that's the formula, I would say, you know. And then it's expressed in a lot of ways. Uh, I looked at our goals for that uh, year, and listen to these. Under our goals for worship. We were wanting to make sure we observed the Lord's Supper at least one time a quarter. We sounded like old school Southern Baptists. Continue to try to worship jointly with ABC at least once a year. Pray more during our services. Encourage our members to have family worship in their own. Continue to exposit books of the Bible as the main preaching plan of the church. Encourage members to attend Ligonier's Ministries 2005 National Conference. It's amazing how focused we were then and how focused we remain today. 
And in the area of loving people, we set goals like this. We wanted to support missionaries through campus outreach. Uh, we had one missionary at the time in Columbia, and we wanted to continue to support him. Uh, Alabama Baptist Children's Home, Crisis Pregnancy Center, which is now Hope Women's Ministry. Uh, we were supporting Angel Tree Ministry, which we still do this time, I mean Christmas time, every year. UCP of Central... Central uh, East Alabama, the UCP Center of East Alabama. These were the things we were loving people through. We were hoping to support Two Every Tribe Ministries in 2005 <laughs> and develop local partnerships with churches in our area. Lastly, we wanted to begin to pursue a, a women's ministry focused on studying the Bible, a men's ministry focused on building men as leaders in their homes and their community, youth ministry, which focused on not just youth but families of youth, we wanted to uh, ha develop more leaders at Grace Fellowship. We wanted to grow home Bible fellowships at Grace Fellowship. We wanted to have a new facility. We were outgrowing our facility at the time, and we had three options, and one of them was this location, which we were told no, and then they came back and they said yes, and we're here today. We wanted to find a few more missionaries to support those were our goals. Love God by worshiping, preaching, studying the word, gathering together and love people through all these various expressions of God's work going on in our community and around the world. The formula was and is the same then and now. It has not changed. In 2012, we became less wordy, but this is what we said our goal was. Grace Fellowship exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ that love God, love others, and reach the world. That's still our purpose today. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to help them love God, love their neighbor as their self, and reach the world. Many of the goals set in 2005 have been reached and exceeded far beyond what we could have imagined back then. Some of the goals continue to be pursued because some of them will be pursued until Jesus comes again. They will never be finished because there's always room to grow and improve. But what I want you to know as a church and to be encouraged by is the fact that we as leaders at Grace Fellowship will not be rolling out new Coke. We will not be changing the formula. We will be doing the real thing. We will endeavor to continue on the mission that God gave us in 2003. This sermon, in other words, will not give you whiplash, as so many vision Sundays might have in your past expressions of God's church. We're not going to have you headed this way and then this way and then that way. Every year a new plan, every two or three years a new pastor, every two or three years this great novel thing that has been delivered to us from Mount Nashville so we can <laughs> roll it out and win the day. None of that. I thought I'd get an amen somewhere in the we're not going to get whiplash, folks. We're going to continue to do what we've been doing with focus and energy and passion. And God will do what God does with us. You don't understand how much relief it brings to have 
the kind of support from you, the church, the fellowship that we enjoy as leaders here. We had three elders in 2005, had four deacons. We got more of them, some of them the same, a lot of new guys around. But when we sit down together as leaders, when we speak about you, we do it with great joy because you have been about this mission. This is also not only not going to give you whiplash, but it ain't going to be, you know, a belt across the backside because you don't need that as a church. You are a faithful people. And I want to tell you that because I love you. Not, not going to beat you up today, not going to change you, your direction, but I hope you leave with newfound excitement about what God is doing and will do with us, okay? That's what this is about. This, this year, a statement will be said, hopefully, hundreds if not a thousand times in your presence, in this worship service and at other meetings and just in our daily life together. And this is what we want to say to each other all the time. If we love Christ, then we will love our neighbor as ourselves. We want that to become easy on your tongue. Like everything you do in your life begins to run through those two things, if it didn't already, and therefore we can become more focused in our own living, in our family's living, and in our church living, right? We want to begin to think about why am I spending the money I spend? Why am I scheduling the schedule I'm scheduling? Why am I attending the events I'm attending? Why am I with the people I'm with? Am I loving Christ and helping them love Christ? Am I loving my neighbor, which is them, and others with them? You see what I'm saying? So we want to build some energy, so to speak, around this statement. If we love Christ, then we will love our neighbor as ourselves. And that should sound really familiar to those of you who have been in church for a while. Okay? Jesus said, when asked, what is the greatest commandment of the Old Testament? He said this. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first command. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we love Christ, then we will love our neighbor as ourself. At the end of his time with his disciples on the earth... He gave them a related mission to accomplish by spreading his message to the ends of the earth. Make no mistakes. The disciples understood that the pillars underneath the mission were these two great pillars. They understood that. And we see it in the epistles by the way they write and the way they talk to one another and the encouragements and the rebukes and the, and the teachings that they leave behind. They understood that the mission was supported by two things. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Jesus said just before he left them to go back to the Father. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all ethnic groups. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all things I have taught you. I am with you until the end of the age. Something interesting about that that we often overlook when we read the Great Commission, which is what I just said to you, right? We find it in Matthew 28. One of the things I think I have overlooked a lot in my life and have to be reminded of, 
What does Jesus say at the end? We, we get focused on making disciples and baptizing, which is evangelism, by the way, and discipling, which is teaching them to observe all things. And we should get wrapped up in those things. But at the end of the statement, he says something. And there's a, there, there's a connecting word there. And I will be with you until the end of the age. Go do these things and I am with you. Have you ever sat and said, I wish I had more of Jesus and more of God and that I knew he was with me? Then here's what I want for you. This is what I want for myself. This is what I want for Grace Fellowship. If we want him to be with us, then we will love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and we will love our neighbor as ourselves. We will go into the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us. And I am with you to the end of the age. You say, I want Jesus to be with me. Then be on his mission. Jesus is on his mission. Jesus is on his mission, church, and he has invited us to join him in the mission. I was asked to define what a laborer is this week by one of our ministries we support. They were here meeting for their leadership and I'm an alum from their ministry from a long time ago in prehistoric times. And they're like, if, you had, if we're trying to know, how can we know we are producing laborers? But, which is our statement. We want to produce laborers in the world that reach the world with the Great Commission. How is it that we know? How do we measure it? Because there's a lot of things we could talk about. We could talk about Bible reading and prayer and giving and, and, and being members of churches and leaders in churches. And we could talk about that. And all of those things are great things that will happen in a laborer's life. But that doesn't define a laborer. None of those things define a laborer. What is a laborer? A laborer is someone who is with Christ in the field of evangelism and discipleship. That's what a laborer is. Now I know you say, that seems like you're narrowing everything down to these two things. I am because the whole of the old covenant is narrowed down to two things. 39 books, and they say two things primarily as pillars. Love the Lord your God, evangelism. That cannot happen without evangelism. No one loves God without coming to know him, and they only come to know him if someone preaches the word to them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the second is like it. It stands beside it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What is a laborer? These two things. How do we have more of Christ? We're about these two things. How do we stay together as a church over the long haul? We never change the formula. We're about loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. There is no second plan. God is united. There is one plan. 
Jesus promised to be with his people as they took the gospel to the many people of the world. He promised that, they, that the world would see the building of the church because others would be drawn to love God and love their neighbor as themselves. As a matter of fact, Jesus says they will know you by the way that you love one another. He defined the whole movement on love your neighbor as yourself. Paul did the same thing. You have accomplished the whole of the law if you do this one thing. You love your neighbor as yourself. What about loving God? Well, you can't love your neighbor unless you love God first. And you're not truly loving God. Now, this is where I may get in some hot water with some of you. You cannot truly love God and not love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot. It is an insufficient belief in God that produces people not laborers. Movements and not mission. That's insufficient. And if we keep the formula the same and don't tweak it and change it, what will be produced is disciples who go make disciples. True laborers in the field. In the field of their home. And some of you are saying, well, I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm consumed right now with my family and my young children coming to know Christ, then I would say you are on the mission in that place. You are on the mission. You're not like waiting till they're out of the house so you can go join the mission. You are on the mission as you lead your children to know Christ and to make him known. Some of you say, well, what, my, I'm, I'm in this worldly, worldly pursuit out here. And I'm, I'm running a business or I'm working in uh, the world. Yes, but primarily you're a missionary in that place. You're on the mission. And you're loving God by working hard and building relationships and telling them about Jesus Christ. Loving your neighbor as yourself. And some of you children are saying, you know, when I grow up I'm going to do this. And I'm saying, no. In your elementary school and in your high school and in your college, you're loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's your mission. It never changes. It continues until he comes again and he will be with us. He will be with us and we will be with him when we're doing these things. He didn't leave it to chance, by the way, either. He organized the body into the local church, and they began to pursue the mission. He poured out his spirit on the church and filled them with his presence, his power, and his purpose. And today we want to look at that together as we get ready to bring it to an end today. I'm not going to keep you forever, I promise. All of that was introduction so we could say a just a couple of things, really, truly. <laughs> Ephesians 4, verse 11, after Paul, after saying in the first part of chapter 4, as context, he says that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, in verse 1, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, there is, look what he says, one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So the context of what we're about to study is that Christ has joined us into one unified body in him, and he has given us gifts. And he's ascended back to heaven, and he's pouring out these gifts on the church. And then verse 11 says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the purpose played out in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself is displayed practically on the ground to Paul in the local body in Chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. This is what it means to love God and love your neighbor for Paul. Now let's talk about it quickly. Christ has given us gifts, church. Each of us has gifts. Every person here is gifted. You didn't make the gifted class, but you're gifted. Man, the Lord is so kind, isn't he? For all us that didn't make it academically, he said... I got plans for you. I'm going to use you. There's nobody, nobody who is beneath God's ability to use. And he expresses it by giving you gifts. And he isn't calling you to do anything that's not your gift. Isn't that a relief? He's saying, hey, I will give you what you need and I will be with you. Now go do what you know to do. Love me and love the people around you. With my kind of love. He's given the whole church gifts, but he gave us some very particular gifts, he says in this passage. You notice it? He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, we want to, he singles these gifts out, not because they're more important, but because they are given to the church to organize and help shepherd the church so that it's efficient on the mission. That's what these gifts are. They're not better don't hear it as like this is the varsity team and everybody else is the JV team. Paul's saying everybody's the varsity team. And these folks that he gave us keep us moving on the mission. And here's what they mean, apostle. This is not big A apostle that walked with Jesus while he was on the earth. That was a limited group of people, 12. That's it. <laughs> and they, they're no longer with us. They're with the Lord. There are no big A apostles I don't care what the church sign outside the building says, walking the earth today. There are none. Okay? There are no apostles, but there are many apostles, little a. What are they? They are people who push the edges. That's one way to think about it. They're not content with where they are right now in a good godly way. They're not content with the church just sitting and soaking in itself 
and turn it into soured, nasty, introverted. They're pushing us. He gives the apostle spirit to us to push and pioneer, to reach and, and, and strain to places we aren't currently at. And those, that's not just to the tribes, which thank God he gave us some of those, right? Ethan and Taylor and Anna are right here. And there's more of you, by the way. There's more of you. And this year, you need to hold your hand up and say, I'm one. And if you do, the church will support you. If you're approved, we'll support and we'll send you away. We'll send our best to the farthest reaches of the world because we believe God will supply us more. But it's not just apostles that go to the end of the earth and pioneers that go reach unreached people. Some of us need to pioneer into West Anniston and pioneer into our neighborhoods and pioneer into our businesses and pioneer. Go after the people, nobody else. Some of you school kids need to go sit at the other end of the cafeteria table with the kid nobody will talk to. You're a pioneer. You're pushing. You're pushing. You have a purpose. Don't just go sit there. Sit there and show them the love of God. Talk about Christ and love them well so that they'll come to know Jesus. And God gives us this gift in the body, the local fellowship, so that we're not content to just sit and say, well, we're finished, this is good. The frozen chosen have arrived, no more. Because when that happens, the church dies. I don't care how many people are in the pews. The church is dead. So he gives us these pioneers that push. And he gives us prophets. Not the big P of prophet from the Old Testament, but the little P prophets, who are they? They are the truth finders and the truth speakers. You ain't got too many of them in your life probably, okay? If you do, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Diversify your friend group. <laughs> prophets, they speak the truth. They speak God's word. They hunger after study. Every group they get in turns into a Bible study. Every group is focused for them on making sure the truth is declared. Declare the truth. Now, they need to love people, right? They don't just need to be truth finders. They need to be love givers, right? we got to have both. But that's what they do. They keep holding out the truth. And, they, and because they keep holding out the truth, they hold a standard for us, which is the Bible, which is God's Word. And they keep putting it out there. So these apostles are doing what? They're pushing us to take risk, and these prophets are saying, don't go too far. They're calling. They're blowing the whistle. In our office, thank God, we have, an, we have one, of the, one of the most apostolic, been the little A-sense people we've ever been around. You know? Corey constantly wants to push us to go do something we've never done before. And thank God there's some guys that say, time out, you're out of bounds. You're too far. Come back here. Right? And he's thankful for that. And guess what? We're thankful that he pushes. And we need shepherds. We need people pushing us. We need people holding the standard up. We need shepherds who are gathering the people, loving the people, nurturing the people, seeing the people's needs, thinking about how to keep people from falling into the clutches of of, of, of evil people and evil teachings and, evil, and, the, and the shepherds walking around the edges of the flock as the apostles pushing out further and gaining more flock the shepherds are spreading out around the edges and keeping the wolves away 
And, and don't think shepherds are passive people. They're aggressive people. They're looking for relationship. They're looking for, for those who are on the edges. They're looking for those who are in the center, who are, who are starting to become too introverted. They're constantly checking in on your life. Thank God that we've been given a great one, one many, but one great example of that in Adam Swan. We, I came home, uh, I think it was last week. No, it was the week before. I come home, I come in, and, and uh, Adam has just called my family to tell them that he loves them. And this is what they said to me. Adam is the, what, I don't remember how they phrased it, something about Adam is the greatest pastor I know. And I'm like, <laughs> Jesus. And at first, my flesh wanted to say, like, hold up. But then I said, he's the greatest pastor I know too. <laughs> Thank God that we don't just have one. I mean, this brother stands out. We don't just have one apostle type, type person. Corey just stands out. There's others of you in here. You do a great job of it. You, you, you're pushing yourself and you're pushing your family and you're pushing the edges. And we have many shepherds in this body. Thank God who are walking around, loving people, pulling them in. This is not an office, in other words. This, what Paul's talking about, not some office that you attain. It's a personality and a gifting that you have. And God has, Jesus Christ has poured it out on the church because he has a mission and he wants us on the mission and we need all of them and teachers. Aaron Acker is one of the greatest teachers I've ever known. He thinks in alliteration. <laughs> and outlines. And documents with bolded outlines. And, and, and I'm just like, you know. At one time I joked with him and said, look, I'm going to send you my sermon. And you just build an outline and I'll preach it. But he's really gifted. And we have many teachers in this body. Men and women who give themselves to teaching the doctrine which we must have to stay on the mission. So we got people pushing us to the edges. We got people holding up the standard. We got people shepherding the flock. And we got people telling us about the doctrines that we must hold dear to. In other words, the pillar of truth is being upheld at Grace Fellowship. Aren't you thankful for that? And it's being upheld not by the elders, not by the deacons, not by you, by Christ himself because he just keeps pouring more gifted people on us. And he just keeps pouring more gifted people on us. I wake up every day with an excitement to come to this place and meet with people and study the word and think about ministry because there's more and more that stands in front of us than there ever will be behind us. One more thing. And we're going to be done. What is the purpose of all of this? That's twofold. To equip the saints. To equip the saints. And to build them up in the love of Christ. Which is their head. Until we all attain maturity. You cannot become a mature Christian. Isolated from other Christians. And that's what happens too often in the church. We look at people like us, and we like them a lot. We want to hang around them a lot, and we don't like those other people. And so we 
kind of keep them out on the edges and we don't want to be around them. And the truth is when we do that, we become isolated. We're not being built up. We're not being matured. We're not growing into our head, which is Christ in love. And so what excites me about 2021 and by God's grace, 2031 and 2041 and 2051, I hope I make it there in some fashion. What excites me is not a new plan, not a new Coke, not a new formula. The same formula. The same thing. What excites me is to love our God together and then to turn around to the world and to one another and love one another as ourself. Can you get with that, church? Well, to do that, our elders, I think, wisely have chosen to do some uh, ordering. And what we've done is we've said we're going to do two things. If we don't do anything else, we're going to do them as excellently and intentionally as possible. We're going to worship together. And we're going to get in one another's homes and live it out together. That comes in the form of Sunday morning worship and home groups. We're going to do other things. But those two things are at the core of what we want to do together. We're not canceling youth group and children's ministry and all those things. It's not what we're saying. We're saying as your pastors, what we want to do is really challenge you to not compromise on those two things. So when you're planning your life for 2021, put those two things at the top of the list and say we're going to do these together. We're going to do them together and we're going to do them intentionally doing well. Home group leader training starts for us January, next Sunday, January the 17th. Starts next, and then that'll run about six weeks, and then we'll start our first our re kickoff. Hopefully, by God's grace, by then we'll be able to do it. We'll re kick off our home groups, our home studies together, our home fellowships. Better way to say it. We're not going to overload you either, so we're going to preach, and then we're going to come together. And the core of our time together in the Word will be what was preached that morning how that then puts sneakers on and goes to work the next day or steel-toed boots or whatever it is you wear. How does it happen? Or how do we live it out? Okay? And we're challenging you to prioritize your life so that you don't exempt yourself and your family from those things. Unapologetically, we're, we're asking it. We want every member and wannabe member to be there in those two things. And as we do those two things well, we believe that God will grow, mature into our head with love every member who is gifted to do the work of the ministry. Let's pray. Father, as we close this time, being in your word, of talking together about what you're already doing, what we want to see you do. It's not a new thing that we seek, and it's not a restart, a reboot, a 
reformulation. The formula is yours, and it began in the garden. And it has continued through the work and ministry of your son and through his bride, the church. And we humbly thank you that you graciously grafted us in as individuals and as a group, Grace Fellowship, you have grafted us in and you're choosing to bear your fruit through us. So Lord, we ask your help. We ask your wisdom and we ask for the perseverance necessary to stay focused on your mission in our lives. Help us not to complicate it. Help us not to try to improve it. Help us to simply live in light of loving you and loving our neighbor as ourselves. It's in your great name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us.